John. That's near the end of the Bible. This is not the Gospel of John, but the epistle of 1 John, chapter 5. And as I told you last week, as we come into the final chapter of this book, it's like a crescendo. Who knows what a crescendo is? The music is getting louder. What's the term? The term is fortissimo. John is shouting out uh, his love for Jesus Christ as he's writing here as, as the way, the truth, and the life. And so, beginning in verse 6, we read, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater, because it is the testimony of God which He has given about His Son. If anyone, anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart, anyone who does not believe God has made him, does not believe God has made him out to be a liar, because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. So far the reading of God's Word. Do you ever wonder, am I going to get to heaven when I die? Am I really a Christian? Sometimes I feel, I feel in my feelings like I don't measure up, and I wonder, do I really belong to the Lord? And at the end of my life, will I find that all my involvement in uh, Christian things was for nothing and I would be lost? We call that doubt. It is possible, and it is sometimes common, for believers to struggle with doubt. Even the great saints, people like Charles Spurgeon, people like St. Augustine, at times, for brief periods, wrestled, wondered, some of our even greatest hymns have hinted at the doubt that sometimes creeps up inside the mind and the heart of a Christian. And can it be, can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me, you see? So sometimes believers, even believers, struggle with questions of doubt. How do we understand that occasional doubt? Well, um, one writer named Don Whitney gives us some insights as he's written about doubt, and he says, number one, he says, doubting assurance 
of your salvation is not the same thing as experiencing the biblical category of unbelief. Please understand this. You can have a strong faith in Jesus Christ while still sometimes feeling some level of doubt. Do not make doubt and unbelief synonymous. I'll say that again. Do not make doubt and unbelief synonymous. Unbelief presupposes denial. That is to say, it's unbelief when the person says, I deny that Jesus is the Christ. I deny that God exists. I am fundamentally uh, rejecting this idea of the atoning work of Christ. Well, that's unbelief. But doubt, doubt says, I sometimes don't feel the certainty about some of these things that I hear and read about in the Bible. And that's different. Don't confuse doubt with unbelief. Secondly, he says there's many different uh, causes of doubt. You can doubt because of the attack of the evil one. You can doubt because your circumstances are crummy. And, and you can doubt sometimes when you get sick and your body is languishing or when your friends let you down and, and you have struggles in your life. And sometimes circumstances can cause you to doubt. Um, sometimes there are physical or mental issues, but it's not necessarily unbelief. Thirdly, Whitney says, spiritual immaturity can lead to doubt. And that is to say, the longer you are a Christian, hopefully the, the more deeply you have studied the work of Jesus Christ for you, and you have learned how to walk in His ways. And, and so, your doubts may be less over time as just a function of maturity. And yet, still, even as you mature, Whitney says something happens to you. He says, if you're really growing in the Lord, you become more sensitive to your own sin. Isn't that interesting? You become more sensitive to your own sin, and when you see that sin inside of you, then it bothers you. It bothers you more than it used to. And so you say with uh, Wesley, and can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Look, I've, I've let you down. And, and so there is a disquiet that comes when the Holy Spirit graciously convicts us of our sin. It, you know, so all, in all of these things can be swimming around in the tapestry of your soul. And um, you may doubt. One of the whole chapters of the Westminster Confession of Faith is given to the question of assurance, and it says there are seasons of our life even when God may allow us to struggle with doubt so that it forces us to run more swiftly and to hold more tightly and to seek more eagerly our Lord and His truth. You see, and God uses that, and that's a good thing in your life. Do you have assurance of your salvation? Muslims do not. Even Muhammad wrestled with dark dreams. He was not certain what would happen to him on the judgment day. Atheists do not have any assurance of salvation and the blessing of God uh, uh, because they don't believe in God and they are not interested in the things of God. Our Roman Catholic friends actually teach that it's presumptuous and wrong to have assurance of salvation because you might commit a mortal sin in that last moment before you die. And, and uh, we 
And yet, the Protestant church has, through the centuries, said, wait a minute, there is an entire book of the Bible where John writes in verse 13, and he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. It's this book. And he says it is the duty of the Christian to cultivate assurance, not presumption, but assurance of our salvation. He, he argues here in verses 11 and 12, eternal life is found in God's only Son, and whoever has Him, whoever has faith in Him, has eternal life. John Newton was the man who wrote Amazing Grace, and John Newton was one of those who occasionally struggled with doubt. And, and what John Newton said is that when the Christian is living with doubt, it's like he's walking along with a thorn in his foot. He's still moving to the destination, but oh, it hurts every day. And Newton therefore said, I need to cultivate assurance in my soul so that I can rest confidently in the person and work of Jesus Christ on my behalf. And I don't look to myself to save myself, but I look to Him, and I see Him high and lifted up, and He draws me, and I am saved, and I know it. And that, that pulls out the thorn, Newton says. You know, in the Gospel of John, that's the big book, in the Gospel of John, at the very end of the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 31, uh, John says this. This is not this book. This is his Gospel of John. He says, I write so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Why did he write the Gospel? He wrote that, that Matthew, Mark, Luke, Gospel of John for the express purpose of persuading unbelievers that they should believe in Jesus. It was an evangelistic book. And so when my, my non-Christian friends, you know, say to me, Pastor John, you know, what should I read? You know, where should I start? I'm interested in learning more about the Lord. I often say to them, let's go to the Gospel of John. That's a very good place to start because we know why he wrote it. He wrote it to persuade people to believe. But our book, the book of 1 John, that he wrote at the end of his life, he's writing to Christians, and I'm so happy why he wrote it. He's now saying to Christians, I write so that you may know, verse 13, that you have eternal life. Now, in another sense, this is tricky because Jesus taught that it was actually possible for unbelievers to think they had salvation when they didn't. And if there is one passage of the Bible in my regular Bible reading through the Bible, I always cringe when I get to. It's Matthew chapter 7. And one of the scariest parts of the Bible, oh, I want to turn the page too quickly is that place where Jesus says on the judgment day, people will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did I not do all these religious things for you? And I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Oh, 
Is that not like the worst verse in the Bible? Could you imagine hearing those words from Jesus? Here's the guy who thought he actually had assurance, but he in fact was not saved, did not belong to the Lord. He did not know the Lord, and so the Lord did not know him. And this is why this book of 1 John is so important, because what we've discovered, and this is really the second point this morning, what we've discovered is that John has given us ways to look at ourselves and to pay attention to ourselves, to examine ourselves, not to save ourselves, but to just look, look and say, am I really a Christian? And woven through our studies together this summer have been these three tests, three tests, do you remember what they are? He, he says in just a few verses earlier that we looked at last week, verses 1 through 3, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That's the doctrinal test. And then everyone who loves the Father loves His child as well. And this is how we know we love the children of God. So there's the social test. Are you, do you love the, the children of God? And then he says, and this is how you know, uh, this is love for God, to obey His commands. And you love by carrying out His commands. And this is the moral test. Do you walk in His ways and orient your life toward His commandments? And think about these three tests. He says, just take a look, reflect, and listen. This first test, he says, there must be this fundamental orientation of our heart and life to Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, the only Savior of sinners. That's what we asked Marvin. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest on Him alone for salvation as He is offered in the gospel? And Marvin, as each of you who joined the church said, yes. very stark down in our text in verse 10, we read, anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar. Now, this is really interesting. Pay attention here. Apparently, the apostle John was the apostle of love. He was the nicest guy you ever met. Tradition says when he was old and dying, they carried him around from church to church, and he patted people on the heads saying, little children love each other. Little children love each other. But John was also fierce, and he would call people liars. And all through this book is this word liar. Now, parents, I know you say when when one child says to another, you're a liar, we say to them, wait a minute now, let's not slander each other, let's be nice, let's sort this out. But I'll tell you what John says. He says, liar, liar, pants on fire to anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ and yet claims to be a Christian. You can't have it both ways, John says. This is the doctrinal test. And when you do, what you're, listen, we're not saying that it's just an intellectual idea that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is not a little tidbit of dessert. Jesus Christ is the main course. Jesus Christ is not a little sweetener that you add because your cup is a little bitter. You know, your coffee is bitter, you add a little sugar. Jesus is not the sugar. 
He is the water of life. The Spirit of God is the wine of God. You must have Him. Jesus is not a spoke on the wheel of your life. Where must He be? He must be the hub of the life. And all of your life is reordered and healed by Him. So that's the first test. Jesus is at the center. You know, I, I have to say, the elders put in our core values statement, they say in a core values, new life comes, and then we use old Puritan language, new life comes through vital union with Jesus Christ. That's an old-fashioned way of saying through a personal relationship with Jesus, you have new life. Do you have that? I hope you do, every one of you. Because He's not dead. He is alive. And He loves you. And He wants to meet with you and encourage you and take a residence and have residence in your soul. That's the first test. Is Jesus your Christ, your Messiah? The second test as He goes on is a life of… is the moral test, meaning um, I'm going to keep God's commands. Chapter 2, verse 4, we had a whole sermon on this. The man who says, listen to this verse, the man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a, there's that word again, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now, this is a little scary because, pastor, don't you usually stand up front and preach about the grace of God? And don't you tell us that we're not under law, but under grace, and I do, and yes, I do. And yet, Jesus was clear, and so He was clear, if you love Me, you'll do what I command, what I ask you to do. You will walk in My ways. You are not saved by your obedience, but your salvation is not without saying, okay, Lord, I'll walk in Your ways. And when I sin, when I fall short, what do I do? I pick myself up and I run to the cross, because we learned in 1 John, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus, the righteous one. And so you run to Jesus and you say, oh, Lord, forgive me, let's get back on the path again. And you will keep His commands and walk in His ways. If you don't, if you just sit in church Sunday after Sunday, but you have no interest in walking in His ways, then that terrible verse of Matthew 7, 23 can be heard echoing where Jesus says, be, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, those who do not care about walking in the ways of God. Do you care about walking in the ways of God? Do you, do you take your Bible and say, okay, I'm a dad. What does the Bible say to me about being a father? You say, oh, I'm a wife. What, what, what does the Bible, what, Lord, what do you say to me about, um, about being a wife? Does, do you have some money in your pocket? Lord, what does the Bible say to me about what about what I should do with, and with my money? Do, my neighbor is making me really angry. Lord, what, does your, what are your commands about how I treat an enemy? And this should be our reflexive response as we walk. And when we do, John says, then that, that's indicative. It indicates that, yeah, we really are born again. There's, God's doing something inside of us. And then the third test is the social test a love for people. 1 John 4.20, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a… Oh, here's that word again. Liar. 
And earlier on, he said, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. So we need to love each other. And when we do, it is evidence that we are born again. You know, I've been thinking a lot about what a privilege it is to live in the 21st century where we have electricity and television and radio. And what a marvelous thing it is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is being broadcast over television and over the radio airwaves and on the internet and on computers. And and some of you have come to learn about the things of God in, in this marvelous way of modern technology. It's fantastic. And you listen to Christian radio and you hear good sermons. But you know what? There is a real unintended consequence of this. And I'll tell you what it is. And apparently, according to this passage, it's very serious. Here it is. If you say, I love listening to Christian radio, so I don't have any interest in the church. I love my favorite TV preacher, but those people in the church, I can't stand them. Not going to be around them. It's too messy. If you say, Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful religion through the airways, but I have no time or interest for fellowship or for the people of God or for confessing my struggles or bearing someone else's burden or, or working together. If, I, if you say that, you might be a liar. One of the, it is, it's a serious problem, this law of unintended consequences. Christian broadcasting is wonderful, but if it creates a whole array of people who don't love their brothers and sisters, there is a danger, a slippery slope according to this test, this social test. So do you really know Him? Well, I'll ask you this. Do you know Him? You know, if your stockbroker calls you up and your stockbroker says, I have this hot tip I believe that if you buy stock X, Y, and Z, it's going to triple in the next week. So I'm calling you to get permission to take $10,000 out of your money market account so we can invest it in stock X, Y, and Z, because I think it's going to triple in the next week. And you say, wow, sounds like a great investment. Um, let me just ask you a question. Um, how much of your own money have you put in that stock? And he says, oh, well, none. But you're telling me it's going to triple, right? I should invest my… Does your stockbroker really believe that it's going to triple? No, I don't think so. He may talk the talk, but he has not believed the testimony in his heart. You see, in our passage today, he says, you have it in your heart. It is not just an academic exercise that we're talking about here, confessing that Jesus is the Christ. You are staking your life on it. You're putting your money where your mouth is. That's what he's saying. And when you do that, when you do that, you pass the test. Now, he goes on, and it's really interesting, point three, he goes on in verses six through ten, and he talks about these testimonies. He says, you either accept the testimonies… Or here we go again. Or you call God a liar. 
So which, which one is you? Which one is me? What testimonies? This is really interesting. Pay attention here. Here's what's going on. John writes of he's, these testimonies about the water and the blood. And if, to a modern reader, it says Jesus came by the water and the blood. We say, what is that all about? But I want to tell you that right now, the Apostle John is fighting for the soul of the ancient church. Right now, he knows that there are teachers who have come into the church. And these teachers have come and they've said, yes, yes, my, yes, Jesus was anointed the Messiah when he was baptized in the River Jordan. He came by water. But then they taught that that messianic spirit left Jesus before he died on the cross because they could not bear the thought that the Messiah of God would suffer a vulgar and bloody death. Salvation could not be by the Son of God dying for my sins. Instead, they taught, yes, he came by water. He was anointed the Messiah at his baptism, but, but now salvation comes through discovering the secret knowledge of him, and we have that secret knowledge, and so you should listen to us. And John says, what? The testimony is not just the water of His baptism. The testimony is His blood. He came and He died. And He made, we learned the word, propitiation for our sins. He Himself was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. You cannot have a Christless Christianity. You cannot have a crossless Christianity. And John won't have it. The modern mind, this, we still struggle with this today, in the world today. In my parents' generation my parents' generation, the great scandal was belief in miracles. Because this was the great modern time when, when people were scientists and engineers and, and we just didn't believe that, that people rose from the dead and we didn't, didn't believe that limbs could be lengthened and that blind eyes could be restored. We thought it was all make-believe. It was just a myth, they said. And that was the, sort of the scandal. And so they tried to demythologize Christianity. But the scandal today, my friends, the scandal today is not disbelief in miracles. Lots of unbelievers still believe in extraordinary happenings. The scandal today is the cross, that you need a blood atonement to reconcile you to a holy God, and that is offensive today, just as it was offensive in the first century. And so do you accept the testimony of the blood? of Jesus, or do you call God a liar? And then he goes on and he talks about God's testimony and what's going on. He says, the witness of God is greater than the witness of man, which makes perfect sense, doesn't it? If God has announced that Jesus is the Christ, then you should believe that Jesus is the Christ or, or else just come right out and say, I think God is a liar. Here you need to know your New Testament because when Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan, remember, the heavens parted and the dove, the Spirit came on Him like a dove, and God said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And on the mountain of transfiguration, there's Peter, James, and John, and the Shekinah glory is manifested, and they stand there, their mouths open, but they are speechless, and the voice came from heaven, from God, this is my Son. Listen to Him. And even in John chapter 12, at the end of the Passion Week, 
As, as Jesus is wrestling, my heart is troubled. What shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to the Father. Father, glorify your name. And then this verse. Have you ever read this verse? Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others thought an angel had spoken. But God had spoken. I will glorify myself in you, my son. Verse 10, anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Do you have the old Puritan phrase, vital union with Jesus? That just means a personal relationship with Him. You can. You must. He desires it. That's, that's where life comes from. I know there are some people, and here's what they say. They say, you know, my life is hard, and I'm weary. My friends let me down, and my body lets me down, and my financial people let me down, my boss lets me down, and my employees let me down, and I'm weary of life. And the old Scottish preacher George MacDonald wrote a sermon called Life. And McDonald says, when you feel that way, don't tell yourself you're weary of life. What you're really weary of is death. You're weary of sin and its consequences. You're weary of death. But Jesus Christ came that you might have life. And McDonald says, so go to Jesus, whatever your circumstances, wherever you are. He who has the Son has life. Come and let that life fill you. Let it fill you with hope and life. When you get on the airplane, you pick up your magazine, you're reading, and then the, the flight attendant says, stop, put down your magazine, stop sipping your hot chocolate, and listen to me up front. You remember what they do? They explain that if you're flying and the cabin pressure drops, what's going to happen? A mask is going to come, fall down right in front of you. Why is that? Because when you are six miles in the air in an aluminum tube and suddenly you're traveling 600 miles an hour and there is a hole in the fuselage or for some reason the cabin pressure drops, it sucks the oxygen out of the airplane and you cannot breathe. And so it is imperative that you do two things. The first thing they say, what do they say? Take the mask and secure it firmly uh, to your face. And then, number two, what do you do? Then you assist the person next to you. That's really interesting, by the way. If you're a mother and you've got a child and the mask comes down, what's your first impulse, mom? You want to put it on your child. The problem is you may not have the five or ten seconds to put it on your child before you pass out. And so they tell you, secure the mask on yourself first. And then what? Pick up your magazine, sip your, sip your hot chocolate. Live life as a word. And when you live in a world that is broken and sinful and headed for the judgment day and destruction and you secure the oxygen mask first on yourself, when you have the Son of God and you have life, how dare you, how dare I sit back and read my magazine and sip my hot chocolate 
while the person next to me is gasping for air. He who has the Son has life, John says. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so what should you do, you who have eternal life? Secure, yes, secure the mask to your face. But then assist the others around you. Who is it in your family? Who is it in your workplace? Who is it in your neighborhood? Who is it in your school that is gasping spiritually? Give them the mask. Give them the mask. Tell them the gospel. Offer them the Son of God. He who has the Son has life. Do you have the Son? Then give the Son. There's two kinds of people here right now in this room, right now. There are those who are saying, I want to examine my own life and I want to, I want to be found to give evidence that, yes, the Lord has changed me and saved me. And you want to grow in your assurance. It is your duty to grow in your assurance of salvation. But there are also maybe some people here who say, you know, this is new to me. I didn't know that without the Son of God I remained in death, that I need life. And right now, I'm, I'm, I, as you're talking, Pastor, I'm feeling a gasping. I need a little more air myself. Well, this is a good day for you because, you see, the mask, the oxygen mask has dropped in this graceless world. The grace of God has come, and you can inhale of the grace of God right now and believe in the name of His only Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and be saved. Oh, that's the way the old-fashioned preachers put it. It's a good way of putting it. Believe and be saved. So where are you today? Don't leave here. And the final word is this. When you look for assurance of salvation, you ultimately don't look to yourself. You look up to the Lord, and you see that forever, forever, forever He is faithful. Forever He is with you. He does not change, and He does not bait and switch. You see, if you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Please forgive me of my sins. I want to walk in your ways. Jesus does not say, come sit in the chair and then pull the chair away. That's not our Jesus. He doesn't do that. One of the kids in the church, he comes up, he says, Pastor, high five. I give him a high five. He says, hit me down low. And when I go down low, you know what he does? Pulls his hand away. He says, ha ha. Jesus is not like that. When you humble yourself before him, when you look to him, he will come in. Whoever seeks will find. Whoever knocks, the door will be opened. So right now, Right now, would you bow your heads and pray with me? And let's all come to Him and find life, the life that's truly life. Our Father, we know that earth has lost its cabin pressure, but You have sent Your Son into the world, just like those oxygen masks drop, and You have said, believe in the name of My Son. And you've said, don't call me a liar. So we remember your words, Lord Jesus Christ, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we come to the Father through you. We thank you that we look, Lord, to you. We lift our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, and we say, you are forever faithful. 
You don't pull a bait and switch. You are forever true to your word. And so, Lord Jesus, give us that assurance of salvation, we pray. And show us that you are forever, forever, forever faithful to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and worship the Lord. We love to sing this song. We